This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kathleen Davis. For years, we complained that we couldn't focus in our open offices. Then, when we started working from home, we found that it was just as difficult in our makeshift home offices. So is the problem external distractions, or is it our brains that are holding us back from that coveted flow state where big ideas happen? Today's episode is an edited version of a recent LinkedIn audio conversation I had with my colleagues, senior editors Julia Hurst and Lydia Dishman. We dug into the research about what's really behind our inability to focus and talked about tips on how to train your brain to concentrate and find motivation in your work. Take a listen. We've covered productivity for over a decade, and there's been a shift in the last couple of years. People aren't as focused as much on getting the most things done. It's more about finding motivation and a connection to purpose, as well as finding kind of focus amid this constantly stressful conditions, in addition to all the kind of practical distractions and interruptions. But before we get started, Julia and Lydia, let's check in. Has your mindset on productivity shifted? Is getting focused and in the zone easier or harder or different in the last few years? Lydia, you want to go first? (laughs) Sure. Throw me to the lions. It's interesting to watch the evolution of other people's productivity. I had been a remote worker for many years before I moved back to New York and was coming into the office at Fast Company full-time. So I had a really good sense of a lot of the things that made me productive. That said, when the world shut down in March of 2020, and we were all in this together, it actually was interesting to see how my own productivity changed because I don't really do well with working in coffee shops unless I'm on hyper deadline and I have to like get something done in an hour. Uh, The ambient noise actually doesn't work for me the way that it does for other people. But um, living in a smaller space and having other people around during the day definitely changed things. When I was working from home pre-pandemic, I was usually all alone in the house. So that was really perfect for me to focus, especially if I was writing or editing. The location change thing, you're right. Like some people love the ambient noise and like being around other people, but not being actually distracted by them and other people. And I think this is a tip we might get to at some point, just like changing literally where they're sitting, (laughs) like not sitting in the, in the same spot all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when there are other people around, i.e. my spouse, etc., other people working from home with you is a little bit challenging because they may be in the spot that you would like to be in yourself. Yeah, I think it's really conditional on the type of work I'm doing because I definitely have used that technique of going to work in a coffee shop pre-pandemic when I needed sort of that change of scenery or was doing something. I think it's best for me, at least when it's the type of work that's not like a hundred, it doesn't require a hundred percent focus. So maybe not like writing or editing, but something else that's maybe more administrative or something that requires maybe 80% focus. And then I think having other people working and talking and milling around can be really nice. It, It makes you feel like you're part of something, but you're still able to get done whatever you need to get done. Have either of you felt that shift of, of what we're covering, that productivity and the focus on like productivity has changed pre-pandemic, during pandemic, post-pandemic? 
Yeah, I think I would relate to a lot of what Lydia had said about everybody sort of undergoing a similar shift. I mean, we've obviously written and, and read a million pieces about burnout and about how people are adapting to that and sort of reassessing their priorities and, and maybe needing to find motivation in a way that they didn't previously. And then I think the other sort of more recent thing that we've been seeing is just as people have gone back to offices in different capacities, right? Some people are back full time, but I think a lot of people are doing a more similar thing to what a lot of us at Fast Company are doing, which is a hybrid arrangement. So you're in the office sometimes. And so I think for me, the biggest change that's been happening is less to do with am I more or less productive? Is it like harder or easier to motivate? And more like, how can I sort of maximize the different types of work I'm doing to be most productive in different spaces, if that makes sense. So like there's certain work that I am trying to prioritize doing in the office and then other work that I guess I'm just realizing is a lot easier to do at home. So much of what we do is writing and editing. And obviously we used to do that mostly in the office before, but I feel like since the pandemic, I'm realizing how much I enjoy that like quiet space and the lack of distraction. So I'm trying to do that work when I'm home. Yeah. And that's the purpose of hybrid or what hybrid should be like is that you use your in-office time for things that involve other people, primarily meetings and collaboration and those one-on-ones and those sorts of things. And then you use your at-home time for things that you're literally just sitting in front of a computer for. And you would, if you were in the office, be putting headphones on to try to drown out the perils of the open office. Yeah. Yeah. Kate, I'm interested to hear your take on this as somebody who is now fully remote. How has your kind of perception of motivation and productivity shifted recently? I definitely, in the times that I've come back to New York and worked in the office has felt weird now since I've been doing this for a couple of years. And I feel like so much more self-conscious when I'm in the office because everyone can see your screen and not that I'm doing anything secretive, but it just like, what are you doing? (laughs) You just feel, I just, you just feel so much more out in the open and so much actually really more susceptible to distractions. I think it's an odd case when you're not in the office all the time, but I was like, oh, here are all the people that I can actually talk to. And it is actually a lot easier to focus at home when the children are not here. (laughs) Um, That's the asterisk that that's the difference between during the pandemic when kids were home and all of that. But when it's like right now and I'm just in my home office and it's incredibly quiet and it's just me, busy work or fake work, when you're in the office, you feel like you have to be at your desk all of the time, regardless of what your company culture is. You might feel like you have to be there and look like you're working, but there's just a kind of a lot more flexibility in the time that you do work. And I know that's a point that we're going to get to later, kind of designing your day. I will take a half an hour off in the middle of the day to do something else and then come back and after the kids are in bed at 9 p.m. and come back to it. And it's, you know, I feel a lot less policed on the exact hours and time that I'm sitting in front of my computer and a lot more results oriented, which is the goal of how a lot of us, I think, want to work. Definitely. So we had a poll that was what makes you feel motivated at work. And this touches on some of the things that we were talking about. The options were working towards a promotion or raise, being challenged by new tasks, connection to the company mission, or colleagues who rely on you. And the winner was being challenged by new tasks, but it was closely followed by working towards a raise or promotion. And there was one comment from, I believe the name is Lucas Spack, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, that said he thinks the best answer would be a combination of all of the above 
I think this question and these answers kind of speak to that shift in feeling about productivity that we've been talking about, that it's not so much like, okay, how can I get the most done? How can I prove that I'm doing the longest hours and all of that? It's kind of like, do I find my work meaningful? I think it sort of fits with the idea that like, ideally, you're finding things that motivate you so you don't have to work so hard to try to be productive. That's like a more natural thing. In the same way, if you're maximizing when you naturally work best, setting up an ideal schedule during the day that taps into those productive times, that's sort of the same thing, right? So you're not fighting with yourself all the time to have motivation, but it's sort of more inherent, whether that's because you're good at working in the morning or because you're working on a thing that actually feels valuable and meaningful. Yeah, for sure. And that kind of segues nicely into the first thing that I wanted to talk about, which are the different types of attention. This is giving words to something that we all will feel and and recognize. So longtime Fast Company writer Stephanie Voza wrote a really great article for us earlier this year about the four different types of attention. And she had this great stat that I just wanted to like highlight at the beginning of it, which I found both depressing and reassuring. She said that according to a Harvard study, people spend nearly 47% of their day, so basically half their day, thinking about something other than what they're doing. (laughs) So not... Who says we can't multitask? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not engaged in what they're doing. But she went on to explain thinking around the four different kind of types of attention that we give to tasks under different circumstances. So the first one is like the best kind is the thing we're all hoping to get and we're talking about here, and that's focused attention. It's when you're both highly engaged and challenged. This is the type of attention when you're feeling motivated, you're feeling creative, but it costs a lot of cognitive resources to maintain. So I love this. It's like, hence the phrase, paying attention. You can't always be in this state. This is the goal. Everybody wants to be in this state, but you literally cannot spend your whole day here because it's really taxing. So then the next kind of like tear down from that is rote attention. It's where you're highly engaged, but you're not really challenged. So it's more mechanical. It's more routine. It's things like filling out your expenses or doing your housework. It's not bad. Everyone needs to have rote attention activities in their day because it can allow you to replenish your like mental resources while your mind is more lightly engaged and you can like work on things in the background. Maybe this is the 47% when we're thinking about other things. And then the other two types of attention that she highlighted were the ones that we hopefully want to avoid. One is boredom, where you are neither engaged or challenged. And the other one is frustration, where you are not engaged, but you are highly challenged. Basically, you're doing something so difficult that you're not making progress and you can't figure out how to move forward. I say all of those just because giving a name to it and recognizing what state you're in and if you need to shift to another one can help you plan your day better. Like you can't plan a day that's all flow focused attention. And if you start to feel burned out, maybe you can take a short break to shift to do more rote activity that helps replenish those. And then obviously if you are bored or frustrated, that's when you're more prone to distraction. So when you find yourself becoming easily distracted, you can know maybe you are in a task that is that you are <laughs> bored or frustrated in. Julia, Lydia, do you have any thoughts on these different types of attention? I mean, I think that rote attention is what Julia was describing is what you can get done in a coffee shop where you don't have to like fully be on it. And you can have sort of the background noise or 
people milling around type of thing so that if you do get distracted, it's not going to cost you very much to get back into the task. Say you were just answering emails. It might be that motivation you need to actually get that task done if you've been putting off filing your expenses, hypothetically, for a while. If you're having maybe not the most motivated start to your day, maybe you need to do something that's like a little less taxing, do those road tasks and then build into more flow work. Yes, uh, there was another poll and we asked people, how do you find focus at work? And the majority of people said listening to music. And I just want to caveat this. I cannot listen to music while I am working. I just can't do it. Even any if type of music. Any type of music. I'm an auditory learner, and I find that the things that stick in my memory the most are either melodies or worse, lyrics to songs. So I can sing you a song that I learned when I was six years old and get every word correct. But if that song is playing, even though I know it by rote, I just will completely get distracted from the task at hand. So I can't do it. That I get for sure with lyrics, because I'm the same way that like I'm singing along, I'm filling in the, mm -hmm. the lyrics in my head. And I think a lot of people said listening to music in the vein of like classical music or some sort of music yeah, without words just, as yeah, like a background words. noise that is not a distracting background noise. But you're even a no on that. Oh, yeah, I'm even a no on that. But 51% of people said that was a thing that they could do. But the runner-up to that was turning off notifications, which for sure is a massive distraction. And if you simply put your phone on airplane mode, what a joy that is. 30% of people said that's what they do to find focus. Working in a new location was third and then other. We That was varied from person to person. But we had one person write in with a comment that I thought was really interesting. James McPartland said, going from one task to the next, constantly streaming the activities of our day into one another actually has a negative impact, which we know, on productivity. It's important to develop the ability to utilize transitions of your day, the spaces between tasks. And James is saying that you need to be mindful of these moments to take a pause and release what you need to release that you've just absorbed before heading to the next task. And I think that space gives the brain time, as he's saying, to transition between tasks because prevailing science is saying that we actually are kidding ourselves if we think that we can multitask because we can't. The time that it takes to switch between tasks is actually a productivity killer because it takes a while to get into the new task that you're switching your mind to. And I think too, you can kid yourself into thinking that you are switching seamlessly from one task to the next. But I think that if you went back, say, and looked at those emails that you sent right after you were switching from something that was a lot heavier than answering emails, you might notice that, you know, a few typos snuck in there or something like that. So it's really important to take a beat and a breath and then switch to the next thing. But I also, and again, this is partly from my experience working from home for so many years, you have to get dressed in the morning. I know that we all got really used to working in sweatpants and pajamas during the height of the pandemic, but I do think that it's a mindset shift when you actually get dressed. And I'm putting work in quotes here because everybody dresses differently, but I do think that it's important to 
get out of what you've been in in the evening and put on something different. Doesn't matter what that is. I also think that the light in the room is really important. So today in New York, it's a pretty gloomy day. And if you were just going on natural light, it's dark no matter where you would be sitting. So good lighting is really important, helps you focus. The temperature in the room is really important too. If it's too hot, you're just gonna be fanning yourself and shifting uncomfortably, too cold, same thing. I will say to that, to the dressing point, I agree that I do not wear real shoes. Like I have not worn, you know, like I am definitely more comfortable than I, when I was in the office. And then similarly, sometimes I will change my clothes at the end of the day and like to signal Mm -hmm. a little bit, like I am now done working. I am shifting away from this. And yeah, that kind of like setting, it's all like setting your mindset up. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't really wear shoes when I'm working from home either, which is fine. But if I have to take a break and step outside, even just putting the shoes on and then taking the shoes off signals the shift. Uh, But when I am in the office, I'm lapping the floor. I know that people see me walking around a lot. And I counted that it's 224 steps for my stride to get all the way around the floor. And I think that's just enough time to catch a breath and move on to the next thing. You do laps as a way to like transition your mind to the next thing you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. If I get to the finishing place, say I've answered five emails and then I need to switch to something else, I'll lap the floor whether or not I need a cup of tea or or water. I'll just take a walk around. Yeah. And that speaks to the whole taking a break thing, too, because mm-hmm. if you're in that, say you're lucky enough to have gotten in that flow state for three hours, then when you're taking your break to do your rote, tasks. You can't just switch over to a different window on your screen and stay sitting there. It's giving your body an actual signal. That's definitely been one of the perks of adopting a dog. It's <laughs> been like, sometimes you have to get up and actually go around the block. But I think it's good that like sort of natural break can mean that when you come back, you've had a minute to think about what you want to do next and be more intentional as opposed to just mindlessly shifting, which I think can happen if you're working from home and not interacting with anything except a screen for too many hours. Yeah. It's also better for your back. Yeah. (laughs) And Zoom fatigue is real when you are like back to back to back meetings, which you can be on Zoom where you don't, you know, have that transition time even that we had in the office of going from one conference room to another and you had to have a buffer of a few minutes between meetings. I think we've all had the back to back Zoom meeting days. Yeah, it's just the worst feeling. Or you'll have 30 seconds to (laughs) grab water. Yes, I have. We have literally been in meetings together. I'm like, okay, see you in literally 30 seconds in this next meeting. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I was going to talk a little bit about designing your day for focus, which I think is sort of a natural progression from where we're at. Obviously, different people and different jobs have different abilities to design your day for focus, right? Some people have to be in one place for a specific amount of time, but I do think for a lot of us, there's like some flexibility, right? one of the big themes uh, of this topic, right? Like how you can maximize your productivity without fighting your sort of own internal cycles and rhythms. Um, So everybody has different times, obviously, when they're the most productive. And I think it just takes a little bit of experimentation and trying different tasks at different times of day. I think we've all talked a little bit about our morning routines and how we get into being focused. I think for me personally, I like to start with a task that is maybe in that 80% 
focus quadrant. So maybe it's like going through my inbox and dealing with anything that's like especially pressing, catching up on Slack messages that I may have missed, just getting a handle on what I have to get done that day and prioritizing that sort of thing. And then after that, I'll kind of transition into more focused work. So maybe that's editing a piece I need to edit or something that does require like full mental focus, lunch break, and then do more focused work after that. And then I think also thinking critically about how you're leaving things at the end of your workday is also really important. So I try to, at the end of the day, regroup, re-look at my to-do list, prioritize what I'm going to be doing the next day. And I think that can help you productively think about your next day's productivity, if that makes sense, how you can set yourself up for success the next day. We've written a lot about like chronotypes and like your circadian rhythms and some people are morning people and some people are night people or whatever. So that plays into it too. If you are a morning person, then maybe you do your best work in the morning time and that's the time Mm -hmm. to do that kind of Mm -hmm. focused work. Maybe you are more creative in the evening and you spend your work day doing kind of that more rote stuff and then you find your flow state or your inspiration like in the evening. There's also been studies that there's like different peaks and valleys throughout the day. I know that a lot of people, and I make this mistake, I feel like I'd schedule a lot of meetings in the kind of 2 p.m. time, which is a bad time, I think, for a lot of people. Like the post lunch time, maybe it's a good time for meetings. So, so when we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, right. You see, and look at all the 200 people listening because they're distracting themselves from doing well, work. Well, I think meetings are a good way to get rid of the afternoon slump because mm. you have to contribute usually to a meeting. So that kind of keeps you on your toes, but it's not quite as heavy of a lift, I think, especially to me to do something like that in the afternoon. I'm a early morning person, so I like to be done with the major tasks before 11 a.m. That makes me feel good about the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also just wanted to sort of put a plug into the idea that like, even if you don't get your day off to a good start, there are ways to reset if that first hour isn't the best hour ever, I think we often will be like, well, this day is ruined or something like that. And I think that's something that we write about a lot, but there are ways in which you can take a break, reset, try to do some other type of work, check other things off your list, maybe tackle that really hard thing if you feel like you have the motivation. But you know, some days are, it's fine to just do sort of the more rote tasks and get those done. Like every day will not be the best. And even if your morning isn't, that doesn't mean your afternoon won't be productive. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we're saying, too, assumes that people have a control over their day that they may not. But it's still useful to know both as an employee and as a manager to like at least be conscious of and when you have the ability to schedule things at times that work. And sometimes that actually is really beneficial to a company. We're in a news industry and we have we are lucky enough to have a news editor who is a early morning person. And it just so happened that we have a deputy news editor that's an afternoon person. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about one of the other polls, I think the third poll, actually, that we did, which looks at what keeps people from getting work done. So the categories were demands from bosses or clients or team, feeling overwhelmed, family and personal stress or other. Feeling overwhelmed was definitely the winner at 43%, but also demands from boss, clients, team. I think that's like something that is worth noting if you're a manager (laughs) or if you oversee people. Obviously, sometimes managers have last minute demands or things that need to be dealt with, but I think it's something important to remember. The feeling overwhelmed one, obviously, that's a big one. You sort of reach that point where it's you just have too much on your plate and everything feels overwhelming and you're unable to focus and actually check things off the list. I think we all can 
for sure relate to that and also family and personal stress. We got a reader comment too under this one from somebody named Emily Phillips who mentioned too many meetings talking about the same things over and over. I think that's also something that probably all of us here can relate to of just being in that meeting and feeling like this is not the best use of my time. I think certainly everyone who's been in the workforce has experienced that before. I think Emily's comment was basically a synopsis of almost all of the comments on that poll were basically meetings. Meetings are the thing that is keeping people from getting work done. So that was a theme for sure. Maybe you can send a proxy on your team to go half the time, or there are certain meetings that you can cut. Because it does seem like, especially as we've shifted to remote and hybrid work, is there are more meetings on people's calendars now. And that eats up a lot of time. Yeah, definitely. So I'm up next, and I'm, we've been teasing it a little bit, this whole elusive flow state and talking about what the flow state is. But before I get to that, I wanted to mention I got a comment as we were talking from Andrew Woodfield. And this was when we were talking about the different types of attention and boredom. And he said, and, I, and this is true, and I think, Lydia, you might have some thoughts on this because I feel like you've covered this before. He said, I've heard it's important to cultivate boredom as it can be a healthy space to have for fostering creativity. <laughs> Overstimulation yes, can lead to burnout and lack of space for creativity or dynamic problem solving. Do you have feelings on cultivating boredom? I have some on it. Yeah, it's, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily call it cultivating boredom, but I do think that if you talk to anyone creative, they'll first tell you that they need the headspace to just sort of daydream. And we've also heard on the flip side of that, where the greatest ideas come out are sometimes when you're washing your hair in the shower or something like that. You're just sort of like zoning and your mind can be empty enough to come up with some creative things. And I think that the doing nothing part of it is actually a great motivator. Just it's the bigger taking the break part, just to sort of zone out for a little bit and let your mind wander. And then you can come back maybe with some fresh ideas and fresh motivation. Cultivating boredom. It makes me think of, for a while, I was quite famous for not having a smartphone. But one of the elements of that was that I could not distract myself during boring things like standing in line. And so, or waiting for the train or those situations where maybe you don't have a book with you, you don't have a person with you. You don't have anything else that you can do. Every single person whips out their phone and scrolls and distracts themselves. But if you don't, and you're not, you're literally bored, you're literally just standing in line. Sometimes that does do what exactly what you were talking about, Lydia, allows your mind to wander and maybe come up with ideas or make different connections. Yep. But yeah, flow state. Let's talk about flow state. So we mentioned this a little bit earlier when I was talking about like types of attention and that focused attention is another way to say it. It's that sweet spot on the edge of difficulty where you're challenged a bit beyond your comfort zone, but not so much that you get frustrated and you want to give up. So the idea of a flow state can feel mythical, like it's reaching nirvana or something, because unicorn. there can be... <laughs> Your productivity unicorn. <laughs> right? And it's like, because like when you hear people talk about it too, and you hear people talk about it, especially in sports and things like that as well. But when you hear people talk about it, they talk about like that feeling of not realizing how much time has passed, feeling like really creative and like in the zone. 
the way that it gets talked about, I feel like sometimes sounds like you're like going into a trance. But there are some ways that you can get yourself into a space where flow is more likely to happen. You certainly cannot be like, and now between 2 and 3 p.m. I shall be in the flow state. <laughs> and then I will be done. Never works. Never I works. I will be done having my creative ideas. But I think the the first is defining kind of what you want to do and being really specific about it and having vague aspirations. All right, now I'm going to like think of ways to grow my customer base are not. You need parameters on what you're trying to think of and giving yourself some kind of measurable, small targets and achievable milestones instead of grow customer base. What kind of marketing content should we put on social media? Like that's a, a subset of that that's a little bit smaller and maybe easier to think around. I think sometimes it can be really useful to have another person to bounce ideas off of and keep going and putting yourself in that a little bit, the cliched improv yes and mindset too. I think sometimes it really helps with creative brainstorming, for example, to have ideas to build on. And we at Fast Company have done this before. This was actually a brainstorming technique that longtime contributor Art Markman wrote about that I found really useful. And we tried it in a brainstorming meeting once where we had to come to the meeting with ideas. And then you wrote out a little bit of your idea and then you passed it to another person. And then they had to add on to it, do something like, what about this? Have you thought about this? Or you could add this onto it. And then it passed on to another person. I think we did it like a couple of times and it forced you to, you couldn't say, no, that's a bad idea. Or I don't think we should do that. And here's why it helped make you think about other things and got insights from other people too. I found that very useful. Other tips to get in the flow state are novelty and complexity in your environment. So that can mean things like working in a different location, which we talked about getting out of your normal routine, but also things like taking a different route to work or just like walking around so that you notice other things and your mind has to can't go on that autopilot as much. Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked obviously a lot about how to kind of motivate yourself. And I think Honestly, a lot of the same techniques and tips can sort of apply if you're a manager and you have direct reports. Obviously, one key part of what we've been talking about is understanding that what motivates your team is going to be different. Like everybody is not motivated by the same thing. Some people might care more about doing a certain type of work. Some people might be really motivated by your team or your company's mission and making sure that feels really authentic and that you're doing something valuable. Some people might enjoy doing collective work and want to seek out those sorts of opportunities. So I think some of it is just talking directly to the people on your team and trying to understand what motivates them and what they care about most. Obviously, all of us have to do different types of work. It's not like one person can only do one type of work, but making sure that folks in your team get the chance to do the type of work that's meaningful to them as much as possible, I think is really important. I think asking about their goals is the easiest way to get at that and work with them on goal setting. Another thing that is maybe a little bit counterintuitive is really avoiding micromanaging, right? We talk about this a lot <laughs> with our managerial content, and I think it can feel counterintuitive if you're really trying to get people to be productive. But micromanaging is the worst thing that you could do if you're trying to have a super productive team and there's a lot of research about how employees feel more productive when there's a feeling of trust and when you are, as we've said, more focused on outcomes versus making sure somebody's in their desk for 10 hours a day or something like that. All of those things are far more productive in terms of helping people sort of self-motivate. Yeah, we've said this a lot, but I think understanding understanding how people work best and what they need from you as a manager and then 
getting out of their way and letting them do that and, you know, being available if they have questions and being creating an environment where they're not afraid to ask questions, but also they don't feel that they have to prove themselves constantly. Totally. And I think to our point earlier, like fostering that environment where people feel like they can block off time to get focused work done, where everyone is not always reachable 24-7, but that it would be okay if somebody said, I need three hours of focused work to work on this big project. That would be an okay and acceptable thing to do. Yeah. I feel like there's a common thread in a lot of our discussions. Don't micromanage. <laughs> Don't micromanage. Yeah, well, in. and you also just need to have the conversation. I yeah. think a lot of people are are afraid to have the conversation or because they think they might be judged on something. But I think that the deliverables are the most important thing. So whatever those are for anyone, there needs to be sort of a firm date for those goals to be met. And then you can go from there because you can't give somebody autonomy if they don't prove that they can get stuff done on time. And then the conversations along the way have to be like the motivators. Do you need any help? Do you need more time? Would it help if you blocked off your calendar, like Julia was saying? I think that's all sort of important. And then you just back up and let people do what they're going to do. Julia and Lydia, thank you so much for talking to me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you liked this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you like this topic, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, Work Smarter, at fastcompany.com slash newsletters, where you'll get exactly these topics and so much more. And we want to hear from you. Work is changing every day. What's the most pressing issue on your mind? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen and Julia Shu with editing by Nicholas Torres. Thank you.